humans are pattern seeking animals. We like patterns. And one of the reasons, or one of the examples you see with that is like you mentioned, these, these systems that were taught that are very much, you know, rigid pattern based prelipence chart. You mentioned the energy system stuff. Like those are very, very attractive because they, they give us this illusion of objectivity and this illusion that humor performance is just a series of putting together puzzle pieces and, Oh, here's all these puzzle pieces go, you know, do the puzzle. But again, I think that if you can take a step away from that, and we talked about this in the episode with Chris thinking about thinking just different cognitive frameworks that allow you to be okay with some level of uncertainty. I'm just going to wing it. We're not even doing an intro. Here's an intro. Hi, welcome to Mops and Moes. Um, it's, well, if you're listening to this, the day it's released, and if we stick to the plan that we had, it should be Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, we're going to do what most every other podcast in the world does around this time of year, which is a year in review episode. We have a somewhat of a framework. We're going to kind of walk through some of the the statistics from the year, some of the, the key themes that we took away from some of the episodes, and just kind of riff on some of the takeaways. For for year one of the pod, it's been a pretty big year. Well, it hasn't even been a full year. It has not. Technically. So should this be like three quarters of a year in review? Sure. Okay. I'll check. I'll do the math later. We'll figure it out. Hit us Hit us with some stats. Okay. So the, the two most exciting here, they're both like really cool to me because it blows my mind and they lead to like things I will request of you, our listeners. Uh, the first one is we were among the top 5% most followed in the world. In part, that tells me just the sheer quantity of podcasts that are out there that nobody's listening to. Yeah, I don't think that, well, maybe it's a credit to us a little bit, but I think it's more just, <laughs> there's a lot of <laughs> you don't listen to. Dude, there's a lot of podcasts out there with nobody tuning in. But what I thought was interesting is that it only 31% of the people who listen to our podcast actually follow the podcast. So here's the request. If you like our stuff, if you like tune into this more than one time, if you think this would help you out, definitely hit that subscribe button. It will help you find us. It will help us find you. It'll help get the word out. So like, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. I was going to say, I'm going to subscribe. And then I realized I'm already subscribed. So you good. better be a subscriber. You should, you should install more podcast apps and then subscribe on those apps exactly. as well. On that note, we have we have our top five episodes. Oh, we got one more stat. Hold on. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. And it's a big one. Top 1% most shared in the world, which is crazy. How many podcasts are there? They did not give a total number, I wish. I would love to know that number. Hold on. I'm going to Google it for our listeners here. I there think, you go. Uh, Good luck finding a quality number. Every time I try and look up any kind of like statistics-related thing to compare us to everybody else, there's a million different answers depending on which, which website you go on. But all these stats are from Spotify. So if you trust your Spotify wrapped to be accurate, we're going off I mean, the exact I literally same just thing. Googled how many podcasts are there and I got an answer in the first hit. So well, what as, is it? As of June 2022, there are over 2.4 million podcasts with over 66 million episodes between them. So by being in the top 1%, that means there are only a few hundred thousand podcasts that are more shared than ours <laughs> i mean but weirder than that so if there's 66 million episodes across 2.4 million podcasts i'm gonna be vulnerable here and my math might suck on this but that is you're averaging roughly 30 episodes per podcast uh -huh. people don't make it that far now 
I mean, because Joe Rogan alone is in like the thousands. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're coming for you, Joe. Coming for Joe. All right. The cool takeaway for me on the top 1% most shared thing is it broke it down by how people share it. And it's it's really not blasting our stuff on like social media platforms that's getting the word out. It's like real organic, like person-to-person communication kind of stuff. People sending text messages, people sending DM kind of stuff. Like that's that's the way it's actually spreading. That's what gets people to care. So that's my next ask for the audience is if this is a good product, if it's something you value, if you think other people could benefit from it, go out and like actually tell specific people about it because that's what seems to actually work. All right, here's our top five drum roll. Let's go. So coming in at number five, and we don't we don't have numbers of listeners necessarily. It's just the top five. So number five was Sleep for Tactical Performance with Allison Brager. Shout out to Allison. The army could listen to that. There's some some serious gains to be made in the sleep domain. Uh, also credit to Allison. The only episode, uh, yeah, the only episode we recorded where the guest was in a gym while we recorded it. That's true. So, you know, keep it real. Uh, number four was Paradigms and Strength and Conditioning with Evan Pycon. That was one of our original episodes. Early days. Shout out, Evan. Thanks for coming on before we had any street cred whatsoever. Uh, number three, Hybrid Training with Alec Blennis. That was a fun one. Alec's a freak, man. Kind of good I, I keep seeing his stuff and it, it makes me feel really bad about my own athletic performance. Yeah, if you're not following Alec not just because of him coming on here, but just in general for somebody that's dropping some really good knowledge and doing some insane things. Give Alec Blinnis a follow. Number two, how to win best Ranger with Vince Pikowski. Also somebody out there doing crazy things. Some legit stuff. There are a lot of good takeaways in that one too. He slides into the DMS every once in a while. So I know he's following. So I appreciate that Vince. So does Alec actually, actually all like, Hey, Basically, all these people still slide in the DM. So we got ongoing relationships with the guests, which is good. Perfect. Number one, zone two training from mountains to tactical with Scott Johnston. Shout out, Scott. Which is particularly cool because the sequel to that episode is coming soon. When when people hear this episode. Oh, yeah, that's true. We've before. already recorded it, but we're going to release it after this one. So we Correct. have Scott coming back on. We've got some frequently asked zone two questions. And honestly, I would think just from my, in my own little bubble, there's been a lot of conversation around zone two and endurance, just broadly speaking. I don't think that that's necessarily because of us, but it's certainly created some interesting conversations. So it's been popping off. Lots of people talking about it. Blue crew, all that stuff. Yeah. My make endurance great again. Hashtag might actually go somewhere. Maybe we'll make hats. Maybe they'll be, I don't know if they'll be red. Or not. I don't think they should be red. I think make endurance great again would be. Maybe we'll have that on the store one day when we create a store. Well, JC's calling his zone two group, the blue crew. So they could be blue hats and then the blue crew would get them. Could do blue make endurance great again hats. Hmm. Something to look forward to in 2023. It's it's blue crew because depending on the app you use that color codes the zones and zone two on some apps is blue. I get it. It's a thing. It's fair. I can get behind that. Um, okay. So the other thing we wanted to do was just kind of hit on some, unless you have anything to add for our top five. No, I'm ready to go on themes and your themes are better than mine. So you should start some key themes. So this is the part that we've kind of not really planned out, but we, we came into this recording, having written down some themes that each of us sort of took away. And then 
the goal is to tie these into some of the episodes. So if any of these themes kind of stick out, we can sort of direct you into where you might want to listen for more. So one of my big themes, which should come as no surprise if you know me, is that there's a, a big difference between periodization versus planning. And a lot of the folks that we have brought on uh, have talked to and just sort of some of the resources we've looked into, I would say argue and form argue on the planning side of things versus the periodization side. And what I mean by that is this idea of going into training and going into programming for athletes with an open mind, as opposed to here's a very rigid, very strict plan. That theme came up super early on. Obviously we had Evan talking about it. Which episode do you think I'd suggest people start with for talking about that concept? John Kiley. Absolutely. I mean, my favorite episode by far, shout out John Kiley. Um, but yeah, if you want any information about periodization versus planning, just generally speaking, Google John's work, but more importantly, listen to the episode we had with him on. It did come back up when we talked to Jordan Feigenbaum as well. That was a the theme it's in that true, conversation. Actually. Yep. And Angus. Yeah. Well, but that, so that trickles into my second theme which is the importance of the athlete, this athlete centric model. And those, all of those names mentioned the athlete centric stuff as well. Again, this idea that instead of the plan, capital T, capital P being the central focus of this athlete management strategy, the athlete is actually at the center of things and the plan, the environment, the stimulus all kind of orbit around the athlete. Um, it seems and we're probably repeating ourselves when we say this, but it seems obvious. However, people would probably be shocked if they did an examination of their own work or an examination of some of the work in our field that gets the most amount of praise and realize that it is not athlete-centric whatsoever. It's very much plan-driven. And this this seems, from a lot of conversations I've had more recently, to cross into a lot of the domains in terms of like medicine yes. and human performance and Good all point. of these things. The one that has stood out to me the most is it it kind of messes up the way we teach people. Uh, instead of teaching people the stuff that they're ready for or the stuff that would be most useful to them or the stuff that would help them build a foundation they could build on later, we often teach them the stuff that like makes us feel smart when we teach it or the stuff that we are most interested where we are at in our journey of learning. And and that can cause a lot of problems because you end up teaching like really complex science. Like, the one that frustrates me the most a lot is I, I see that whenever people are teaching human performance stuff, whether it's like clinics or these like extender courses or whatever it is, train the trainer stuff in the military, there's this idea that you need a huge scientific foundations block before you can go into anything practical. And I'm not sure that actually helps the people that are learning. It's almost like, I mean... Because you're right, I'm thinking of your standard text, and it's super into the anatomy and physiology, which is fine. But there's not really much mention at all about the psychology piece of it. And I'm wondering if, you know, we had the keys to the castle, so to speak, and we could rewrite that whole process. I would argue that the psychology piece would have more of an emphasis. And in terms of like episodes, I know the one that we did with Aaron the, the chiropractor, he talked a lot about this really, like you mentioned, across a lot of different scopes. And the other thing that I'd point out with this theme, because this is something that I I see all the time is, again, it seems so obvious that you would go about training this way. 
And a lot of coaches will say that they do it. And then you look at their work and they don't actually do it at all. So maybe like, you know, new year's resolution for people, like take a look at your, at your stuff and, and try and see if there's ways in which you can inject more feedback and more, more collaboration with, with the athletes that you're working with. So that was number two. And then again, before you go to the next one, please, I do want to say a a comment I hear a lot in the coaching world, and I'll contrast this with like ideas of leadership in the army, but a concept I hear all the time in the coaching world is you don't coach effort. That's up to the athlete. That's up to them to bring. And that's, that's a really convenient way to like blame your athletes or blame your clients when it doesn't work out for them in, in terms of like how the army approaches this kind of stuff, what leaders are responsible for, for, for providing their people are purpose, direction, and motivation. Like explicitly a leader's responsibility is to get them to care, to get them to buy in those things. And it, it seems to me like the coaches that people remember and the coaches that people value and the coaches that make the most impact definitely are coaching effort. They're coaching mindset. Yeah, I would argue, well, I would probably think that those guys too aren't so hung up on back squad versus front squad. Probably also true. Okay. And so, like I mentioned, it trickles down into me for number three, which is, we've talked about this a lot, that the subjective information, data, metrics, whatever, are, you know, greater than slash equal to the objective data metrics, whatever. We, I think we've probably talked about this in just about every single episode. So it's hard to point out one specific one, but especially when we looked at like the consensus statement that we just, we just released not too long ago. And then the conversations that we, again, an episode we haven't released yet, but coming up with, with Josh Hagen, big data guy, just this idea of the subjectivity and the, um, the internal experience of, of the athlete and, and the information you can take from that is incredibly important. And historically that has been something that people either minimize or just flat out ignore in favor of objectivity. So things like, you know, weight on the bar or percentage of one or max or whatever, as opposed to rate of perceived exertion or mood state or, you know, buy-in whatever. And I think that what I'm most interested in down the road is where the objectivity and subjectivity start to collide. So as, as we, as a, as a marketplace get more into this data driven idea of performance, but also simultaneously the, the body of research in the psychological realm starts to show that the subjective measures are equally as important, if not more important. What is that? What is that going to look like? So those were my three themes. Obviously, there's a lot more that you could take from these episodes, but those were kind of my big three coming into the end of the year. I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, just to to riff a little bit on the subjective versus objective stuff, I think that blends nicely with some of the stuff you said previously. And it, it kind of actually, I'll just carry this on into my theme number one, which is that relationships matter more than X's and O's. And you talked about like periodization versus planning and X's and O's is all tied up in that kind of stuff. But a huge amount, whether it's in recovery from injury, whether it's in like changing the way you eat, whatever, whatever domain it is of human performance, it it almost always comes down to does the person believe that they can make the change and does the person believe that the change will work? 
and belief has very little to do with like spreadsheets and like handbooks and things like that. And it has everything to do with the relationship they have with the person who is coaching them in that direction. And that like, that's fuzzy and it's annoying. And I know it's really hard to sell that online. It's really easy to sell canned Excel spreadsheet programs and things like that. But I think basically everyone we've talked to, everyone who's making a huge difference out there, they're doing it because they invest in relationships and caring about people. And like most of the data collection, even the data is usually in the best settings I've seen it in. The data is used as a way to start the important conversations that happen between two humans. I mean, I would, I would make an even more controversial statement of that. And I would say that the data exists because we think that the data should exist. And oftentimes if you trace where that information goes, it generally leads to nothing or it leads to a single bullet point on a PowerPoint slide because you're told that you need to provide this piece of information. But like, realistically, I don't think the data really does much of anything. What really drives, like, if you think about it, what makes athletes come into the gym? What makes them want to work out? What makes them want to be around you? What makes them want to keep being around you? It's the relationships. Like the data piece is important. And I think that we we all get really excited about it because we can display it and we can sell products that, like you mentioned, like provide it. And, you know, but at the end of the day, I don't really think in a lot of places data is making much of a difference. It's whether or not you like the people that you're around. This is sort of a tangent on that. It's not a theme I wrote down, but it is something I've ended up talking to Chris McNamara about a lot, but kind of just the the dichotomy between human performance programs run inside of work environments where it's like a mandatory and or like part of the job kind of situation versus like private facilities where people are paying to be there. And obviously there's some unfair comparisons there, right? Like everybody who's coming into a private facility decided they wanted to be there. It's done. But I, I think there's a mindset we can look at in terms of in in private facilities, in programs that people are paying to be a part of, whoever is running it is constantly thinking about like, how do I make this experience good enough for people to stay? How do I justify the cost? How do I make this attractive for people to come join? Mm-hmm. You're, you're selling, you're, you're trying to like constantly improve what you do and trying to constantly attract people and trying to constantly get people to care. And I know it's not like, the way we tend to do things, especially in like federal bureaucracies and stuff like that. But I would encourage people, even if it is not an environment. And I know like if you're already employed by a program, you're going to get paid the same, no matter how many people you attract, whatever, whatever, there's lots of hurdles to it. But if you can like hang on to a little bit of that mindset of like, you're, you always are selling what you do. You're always selling your service. You're convincing people it's valuable. I think it's a crucial element to a human performance program. Well, and I think, the best coaches are all good, good salesmen, good marketers. I mean, I'm looking at like, you know, Mark Taysom has a lot of this. Um, Riley has a lot of this. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Like they're not just like hawking their stuff, but they understand that creating the buy-in piece, especially at the outset is important. And both of those guys in both of those episodes talk about that and give some good examples of how to, I think, get better at that. Yeah, they they both talk about it and they both are people I've been lucky enough to see make a first impression on someone. And in both cases, they're not getting paid any more or less depending on how many people come into their facility, right? That's not part of their structure. They're going to get paid the same either way. 
but both of those guys put a ton of effort into like making it an exciting place to be, making it an interesting place to be, making people feel welcome in there, like making people believe that they will get better results because they are there. And like, honestly, and most importantly, establishing that interpersonal relationship, right? Like making sure that person knows them. That's mm-hmm. like the most important thing on a first impression, when, at least in their facilities. That was theme number one. It was. Um, going on to the next one, and there's like a few different ways to word this. And it, it all comes back to the concept of holistic or interdisciplinary or whatever you want to call it. But actually, it also comes back to subjective and objective. We, we often see things we want to improve or fix in the physical domain. We want to build more muscle. We want to improve our PT score. We want to lose weight, whatever the thing is. And as I've learned more and been exposed to more, it seems to me more and more like the, the results in the physical realm, whether they're good or bad, probably stem from something in a different domain, right? It's probably not because you're doing your bicep curls wrong or not doing enough bicep curls. It's probably because something else is like, whether it's psychological stuff, whether it's sleep stuff, whether it's nutrition stuff, it, and it often stems back to stress, frankly, like different life stressors and things like that. And, and learning how to not necessarily try to address the problem in the physical domain. If the physical problem is just a symptom of a problem in a different domain. I think along with that is this idea of how to phrase this, like instead of the, a team, a multidisciplinary team being a series of pit stops, the the better model is one in which everyone is collaborative. And I know that's easy to say, and it's harder to implement. We talked about this with our collaborative episode we had with uh, not your average doctors. Again, just this idea, because, you know, you see this happen all the time, like somebody walks into the building or whatever and like, oh, hey, I'm here to see the the dietitian or, hey, my ankle hurts. And I think in, in some cases that's totally fine. Like, you know, if it's just a quick in and out, cool. But I also see it where, you know, the PT, for example, will just own that athlete's experience and then we'll release them when they decide that they're ready. And it, no one will ever talk about the fact that, oh, while they were on the table getting worked on, they, they mentioned that things at home are kind of tough or whatever. So I think there's a lot of low hanging fruit in terms of figuring out how to make your team more collaborative or having a more collaborative solution. Because again, I think, you know, a large portion of our audience are folks that work alongside strength coaches or dietitians or PTs or, you know, cognitive performance folks. And it's, it's very easy to fall into your own bubble and focus on your own scope. Um, you know, we've talked about scope creep. I would argue that there's way too much ego going on right now in human performance, specifically in the tactical space, because it is a young profession. Everybody is still trying to figure out what, what the right answer is. And with that comes a lot of insecurity and I get that. And I, I do the same thing, but I think the, the next move in terms of maturing this industry is figuring out how do all these different components work alongside each other? Like you would see in a professional space or a collegiate space. So again, that's just the opinion of one person, but I think it hits on what you mentioned. All right. Next theme. And this, this crosses a ton of episodes. We talked about it a few different times, but the idea that like all frameworks are wrong they're inevitably going to oversimplify to some degree. They're not going to be perfectly accurate. They're not going to account for something. 
but some are useful despite the wrongness. And it's, it's a game of sorting out like which, which oversimplifications lead you to make better decisions and which just make things confusing and complicated and things like that. Uh, a classic one I'll point to coming up here soon. I'm going to like revisit some of my like original content that I made early on and like see which of it like still holds water and I can like reuse it and bring it back a little bit. But one of the examples I was, I was super proud of this when I was new to the space, but I used to like <laughs> constantly draw up my little like energy systems thing to explain oh, the difference between God. like phosphagen, anaerobic glycolysis, aerobic glycolysis, beta oxidation. And I'd like do the whole like campfire metaphor thing and explain how it's not like shifting gears, yada, yada, yada. Hey, to your defense, a lot of really smart people still use that. They're wrong, but they still use it. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying like those things don't exist. Like some of those reactions happen in your body and that's cool and stuff. But frankly, it, it kind of comes back to athlete centric, right? That, that model is m the thing it's most helpful for is studying for certification tests that are going to ask you questions about those rather than like actually helping someone train more intelligently. Yes. And so that is an example of a framework that it, it has some inaccuracies in it. It has some accuracies in it. It has some nice like vocabulary that makes you sound smart if you talk about it and all that stuff is cool. I'm, I'm on the fence about whether it's useful. And I think there might be other probably more useful ways to talk about the way we train. I think the big, my biggest issue with it is it, if you look at it and you look at the numbers and you look at the time domains and stuff, it makes it seem like aerobic capacity is less important than it actually is. And it like would lead someone to underestimating the aerobic contribution to short duration activities, all sorts of stuff like that. I don't know. Yeah. I'm more so on the camp of like, that's not useful and it's probably dangerous. Yeah, I know. And the reason for that, and we talked about this uh, again, for any going down a kind of an energy systems rabbit hole, but like the episode that we did early on with Evan, we specifically talked about this point because it's something he is very, very good at. Um, to me, the ineffectiveness of it, and really with a lot of frameworks, like I think a lot of them are useful as long as everything's going well. Like you see a lot of coaches that are using stuff that is just like flat out wrong and or stupid, but the athletes are performing. And so it's kind of that old saying of like, if, if bad data supports your cause, is it good data? Question mark. I think where it becomes dangerous or ineffective is when things start to go wrong. So energy systems specifically, like you mentioned, you know, if, if my athlete is having a tough time with short explosive stuff or whatever, and I am of this mindset that like, oh, oxygen has nothing to do with that. It's anaerobic, blah, 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 blah. I'm not even going to touch any of the more utilization heavy type training methods or more of the respiratory, you know, limited type training. So again, a lot of the stuff that we talked about with Evan, I think models are are great. The question is always, does it hold up when things go wrong? And if you're working off the, the if you're working off of a model that is ineffective, when things go wrong, you're often going to then blame the athlete as opposed to looking at your own system because you think that your model is correct. We also talked about it in the, like how to build your own PT program episode. Mm -hmm. Critical to that is trying to give people frameworks that they can use and be effective. And like, there's references to some of those same vocabulary words in that episode, but we also don't lay out the energy systems necessarily. Yeah. It's, it's tough to like find because you got to give people something, right? If you're going to like, send, if you're going to try and create autonomous athletes, what I think is the goal, like create somebody who can take care of themselves 
you got to give them tools and you got to figure out which tools are actually useful. Well, and just to put a bow on this one, like, and again, not to like keep mentioning John Kiley, even though I do it all the time, his essay on stress talks about this specifically and this idea that humans are pattern seeking animals. We like patterns. And one of the reasons, or one of the examples you see with that is like you mentioned, these, these systems that were taught that are very much, you know, rigid pattern-based prelipence chart. You mentioned the energy system stuff. Like those are very, very attractive because they, they, give us this illusion of objectivity and this illusion that humor performance is just a series of putting together puzzle pieces and, Oh, here's all these puzzle pieces go, you know, do the puzzle. But again, I think that if you can take a step away from that, we talked about this in the episode with Chris thinking about thinking just different cognitive frameworks that allow you to be okay with some level of uncertainty. We went down a deep rabbit hole with that theme. That's pretty good. I like, sorry, I get, I get excited when we talk about energy systems. Another one, this one's come up a lot recently and it's, it's been cool to see some like coaches start to like echo this a lot. Cause I think that was not necessarily where we were as a tactical space pretty recently. We're seeing a lot of coaches echo this now. Like more, I don't like, maybe I'm biased. Maybe I'm in like a bubble or something I like think that we're in a big bubble, but our I'm, own bubble. I'm seeing it a lot. More. And I, I'm certainly not going to like claim credit for doing that at all but i hope we've created a space where we can like have conversations about it and nudge people and i don't know but since we haven't actually stated what the theme is it's the idea that if you if you take a real look at the actual demands you're looking for and where your gaps are and what your goals are and all those things for most well first off most tactical professionals but frankly most people in general probably need more conditioning work than strength work. We've seen this in our zone two stuff, which we're about to revisit with another episode with Scott. We've seen this when we talk about like some of the hybrid training stuff with Alec, this has come up a ton of times. It, it even came up a little bit in some of the like Dave DeGroot ACFT development conversations. When you talk about like what performance on what events actually predicts performance on tactical assessments, tactical, actual performance, as well as performance on what events predicts injury risk. And you see really big gains to be made and like protective factors to be garnered from aerobic capacity kind of stuff. Um, it's not sexy. It doesn't look as good on Instagram, but it, it seems to produce really good results. You hear it. I mean, for sure with Vince, when you talk about best mm -hmm. ranger stuff, man, that was, that episode was almost entirely about conditioning and almost entirely about like long, low intensity aerobic conditioning his programming that he's i think we talked about the programming that he sent us but he he gave us sort of a snapshot of some of the stuff that he did leading in the best ranger and like it is predominantly i mean i'm going to make up a statistic here but it's like 90 percent endurance and i think so it's to me that's like a two-fold conversation number one it's just getting comfortable with this idea that yes being more aerobically proficient is going to produce a better individual than someone who is less aerobically inefficient. I think, again, we, we talk about this with Scott too, but you could, you could make the case that there is a ceiling to strength. You, you could arguably be too strong for this profession. It, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that would make the case that you could be too enduring. Well, I'll, I'll flip that one a little bit in a way that's made more sense to me at least, which is that it's not that you're too strong or too enduring. It's that you, you probably can point to a certain point where you are strong enough and additional strength is not necessarily yes. additional performance anymore. 
the time spent moving your your deadlift from whatever 400 to 500 versus dropping your two mile time from what was the one we saw the other day like 25 minutes or something down to like 14 like it's just anyway but the other piece to that that i think is and we're seeing this across well i feel like we're seeing this across the strength and conditioning industry is like people are finding that the i mean i'll i'll phrase it this way like the mythology around concurrent training is probably mostly false and that it is actually I don't want to say easier than we thought, but certainly less complicated than we thought. This idea of you can you can be very competent aerobically and also very competent from a resistance training perspective. Like you can be strong and lean and jacked and like you know super fit, but also can run fast. And we see, I mean, Riley's an example of somebody who's doing that. Like we see a lot of people that we talk to a lot of people that are able to do those things. Alec is another good example. And I think it's kind of funny too, because like Riley doesn't even use terms like hybrid or concurrent. He's just like, no. I'm going to be good at that stuff. Just wants to do it. There's, there's no like ready. gaming. There's no like pre-fatigue conversation. Like there's no, like no extra complexity. Just, Hey, I'm going to do strength and I'm going to do conditioning. I'm going to be good at both. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of just it. Like, you know, just do both of them. And if you find that you're sore or you're tired, like do less of it and then figure out like, I don't know, that's its own episode, but like, yes, I agree with that 1000% that you probably need more. And we hit on that. I mean, what was that? Our second episode, third episode about strength versus conditioning. Yeah. Strength versus endurance episode three. Mm -hmm. First real episode or second. We had that debate and the aerobic one won out, but you know, Hey, endurance great again. Yeah. It's happening. And then final one here, which I don't know if this is helpful. I don't know. (laughs) It depends on who's listening. If you're in a leadership position, hopefully you're listening to this one. But it it is true that a significant amount of fitness outcomes are an, an individual responsibility. Even when we're in these tactical spaces where everybody's in a unit and an organization and all this stuff, a lot of it comes down to individual ownership, putting in a little bit of effort, especially when it comes down to like what you eat and how much sleep you get a lot of that on most days is going to be up to the individual. But that said, leadership plays a huge role in creating the culture, creating the opportunities, not hurting people, um, making it seem like something they want to do. There's so much. And and I'm talking, when I say leadership here, we, we have a lot of these conversations now. We're talking about like human performance teams embedded in military organizations. I don't know the human performance team can do great things. If the leadership of the actual organization, like the uniformed leadership is not bought in on this stuff and not creating the space for it and not encouraging it and all of those things, there's only so much human performance folks can do. Like this is a, this is a leadership responsibility in a really big way. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I mean, I see that all the time in my day job, this idea of like, Oh, that's a cool thing we have access to, but like, we've got this covered. Like we've been running our own PT for forever and okay, fine. Like, sure. You're fine. But like, certainly it would not hurt if you collaborated with this individual who has years of experience and degrees and exposure, like there's no harm there, which kind of goes back. I mean, again, on both sides to this, we talked about the marketing piece, the buy-in piece, like you mentioned, just creating the environment. Flip side of that, I suppose, is is it is a very, very young 
idea, this idea of embedding, you know, a lot of times embedding civilian professionals into a military organization, even the guys that have been doing this the longest are really only 10 or so years in a few are, are longer, but normalizing it is maybe only 10 years old. And that's in the special operations community. So the conventional side of things, I mean, there's always been fitness facilities on installations, but the idea of embedding that and making a part of the culture is very new. And as you mentioned, I think if the leadership fights that because they think that for some reason it's taking away some like mythical thing that we've always done, well, then like you're never going to see any change. That's called path dependency, which again, we talked about with, with Chris. I'm also going to throw one out. Uh, I'm, I'm going to rewind here back to be an active duty a few years ago. And there were constant conversations about the state of the NCO core and like, are they empowered enough to lead and all of these things? And I think our NCOs are capable of doing a lot more than they're allowed to do in a lot of organizations. Right. And there's an ego challenge with the whole fitness thing, right? Cause a lot of NCOs are accustomed to being in charge of that and they want to stay in charge of that. And to some degree they will keep a responsibility for that but it can be threatening to have some like random civilian come out and say, Hey, look at my cool degree and my cool certificates and all this stuff. And now I'm going to tell you what to do. That's, that's a relationship problem that you got to solve on a personal level. But I would suggest that if, if PT is taking up, like if that's a huge part of an NCO's like leadership responsibility and opportunities, then we've really messed up the way we develop NCOs. Right. Cause I, I constantly hear like, especially in like units I was in, right. That like, yeah, there's this cool new like stuff we can do, but but these guys got to learn how to do the prep drill and military movement drills one and two and the recovery drill. And they got to learn how to like extend a formation and all this stuff because that's crucial for like schools they're going to go to to get promotions. I'm like, why though, <laughs> right? Like, Because it's always been done that way. What value does it actually add to make someone really proficient at like the drill and ceremony of running a kind of crappy warm-up? Like, which, which would I rather have on my team, a sergeant who can like run a picture perfect prep drill or a sergeant who can run a warm up that actually gets the guys warmed up and excited and ready to go and is like tailored to the workout they're going to do, you know, I mean, yeah. maybe I'm crazy. I don't no, know. I had this, I had this exact same conversation the other day with an NCO, this idea of like, and again, this is not a knock on any of this because I do think there's value in, in doing this the right way, but you do kind of have to ask the question of like, what do we, what do we gain here? And what are we giving up by not allowing this to change even slightly? I don't know. I think about even more now that I'm in a reserve unit and there's so little opportunity for training. You only see people a couple days a month. You might have like one to two PT sessions per month. And in those environments, that means because of the forcing functions and because the incentives we set up, the most important thing that happens there is somebody who's getting ready to hopefully become an E5 is all about making sure they know their PRT drill and ceremony. And that just makes people less excited about PT in my limited experience, right? There's ways to do it well. I got it. And like PRT is not necessarily bad. There's good components of it. The leg tuck is part of it, but like we gotta, we gotta have some serious conversations about like how we approach these things. And if, and like this is coming full circle to mops and mows, right? If we're, if we are, doing things flawlessly, but they aren't helping us get closer to the actual goal we have, 
then we're checking all the mops boxes and none of the Mo's boxes. And that's a problem. Beautiful. I'm going to put you on the spot here before we close out. What was your favorite episode? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to take a slightly unexpected approach to this one. And I'm going to take an athlete centric or listener centric <laughs> approach to choosing a favorite episode. And this also helps me not get in trouble with any of our guests because I'm going to choose an episode that has no guests. I'm not going to play favorites. But the the how to build your PT plan episode has been more popular than a lot of our recent episodes. It's getting more listens faster. And I think that's because we didn't go after anything technical. We didn't go after anything complicated. We didn't go after anything sciencey. We just laid out some like practical, actionable, accessible useful stuff that people can put into practice like the very next day after they listen to it. And we should probably produce more content like that. Well, I was going to say, like we talked, even I think in that episode, we mentioned we'd like to do more of that. So again, another shout out to people that have made it this far in this episode. Like if you have things you want us to talk about or questions you have, like drop a DM. Yeah, we'll do it. How about you? What's your favorite episode? Is it John Kylie? <sighs> Yeah, I mean, he took the words right out of my mouth. Now, I will, <laughs> I will say. So the reason for that, John's hero came on the podcast. That's what happened. Hero came on the podcast, but no, John. John has been a well, even before I, I knew him personally, his his work was very inspiring as a young strength and conditioning coach in terms of like the way I thought about things. And then when I got when I was fortunate enough to strike up a friendship with him and have access to his his brain. I was able to ask a lot of questions. So then to bring him on and his willingness to kind of open up his, his mind, so to speak, and give people the option to agree or disagree, I think was for me and my own development as a coach and whatever, like it was kind of cool to come full circle. So yeah, I would say John Kiley. Well, I, I'll say this, the opportunity to be in a position to where I could have John Kiley come on a podcast and ask him questions was probably my favorite episode. I got to say, it's been the coolest thing about running this whole podcast is the opportunity to learn directly from people like people whose social media I had like been following before or whose articles I had read before. It's cool to like learn indirectly from the content people produce. It's incredibly cool to learn directly from the person and hear what they think. Mm -hmm. Anything else? That's pretty good, man. It's been a good year. Been a good three quarters of a year. It feels weird saying this because it's not Christmas, but Merry Christmas, because this will come out on uh, Christmas Day. There we go. Merry Christmas, gang. See you next year. Hey, guys. It's Alex. I hope you liked the episode. If you found it useful or enjoyed the conversation, please give us a rate and review on whatever platform you listen on. And we'd also appreciate if you're on Instagram, follow on the page. And if you want to reach out, DMs are always good, or you can email us at mopsandmoes at gmail.com. That's M-O-P-S-N-M-O-E-S at gmail.com. See you next week.